All right, so Pastor and his family are away um, this weekend, spending some time together. Um, and we're, we're continuing then in a, in a series, um, if you've been with us, that's focusing on this Old Testament book of Judges, all right, which tells the stories of the system that God had instituted in the land of Israel um, before the, the age of the kings, right? These judges now, what's, what's interesting to me, uh, these judges were not elected officials, right? As we think of today, all right? There wasn't, there wasn't a, a county judge, okay, that went up for election. There was no uh, democratic system, right, that these judges were put into, into power. Um, there was no uniform way that these, that these people um, took office, so to speak, as we think of judges today. They were, these judges were simply raised up by God in response to the Israelites' cries for help, right? And so God moved in situations with different people to bring justice of some kind to the area. Gideon, for example, remember, had a personal encounter with an angelic messenger Samson's parents were instructed to dedicate him to the, um, to service to the Lord. And the judge we'll learn of today was selected by tribal leaders and approved by the people. So it was a little more democratic, maybe. All right. But, um, again, all the judges, there was no similar way that they were all brought to power. These judges then ruled over Israel through a variety of ways. There wasn't one, um, one thread necessarily of, of ways that justice was, was delivered by these judges. Think of Samson, all right, and the hard, um, violent judgment that he brought to the Phil- the enemies of Israel in the area, the Philistines in, um, specifically. Compare that with the judge Deborah, the only female judge, who was known to tell her prophecies sitting under a date palm tree. <laughs> That's very different from what Samson was doing out killing um, Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, of a dead animal, right? Many of these judges ruled in different ways, yet all of them were anointed to, to lead Israel in turbulent times for the glory of God. That's the common thread, right, through this, through this series. What I, and what I want you to realize starting this morning is that pastor left me the privilege of speaking on the most bizarre, unfamiliar judge no one's ever heard of. <laughs> okay? I'm like, really? Pastor? No, I'm just kidding. Um, I kind of feel like he planned his vacation to coincide with like this. I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, but raise your hand this morning in all honesty if you've, if you've ever heard of Jephthah. Okay, there's a few, but Jeff, no, it's okay. I wasn't trying to call anybody out there. Jephthah. Um, and, but what I think we'll, we'll see here, um, is that Jephthah, as one of the lesser known judges, all right, had a story, has a story that isn't told so far and wide. Uh, and, and part of that may be a conjecture here by me, but he was an outcast. He was abandoned by his family, influenced by evil, yet ultimately through those situations, through that past, was used by the Lord as a judge in another crucial time in Israel's history. So I pray that we see this morning is that through the story of an outcast named Jephthah, God can redeem and use those that he's called according to his purposes, regardless of our past. Amen. 
So I've titled this morning's message, Using the Outcast. Uh, we're looking um, this morning in the text uh, of the book of Judges, chapter 10. If you'll turn with me there, if you've got your Bibles, we'll have uh, the text on the screens and then some notes in your bulletins as well. You can follow along with. As we get into this message, I want to ask um, each of us a question here this morning. How many would be super honest? You don't need to raise your hand or anything, but but admit that you felt um, like an outcast at something. Or in some situation, okay, if you feel on the outside, right, on the fringe, maybe, um, I, I don't know if you would believe this or not, uh, about myself, but, but I was never the outgoing kid. That was not me. I, I'm serious. I was, I was a stereotypical, again, middle child, like in the background, like I'm, I'm fine. You all go crazy. I'll just sit back and that's fine. That was me. I wanted to be in the background. I was comfortable not being seen. Um, on the flip side of that, of course, there were times as a kid I, sh- I, I wish that I was more noticed, right? As I grew up and grew out and grew in my confidence, though, and in, in who God had made me, I, I, I grew out of some of that. But here's what I'm getting at. It's a common sentiment, right, for us to feel um, one time or another that we're kind of on the outside of something for whatever that, for whatever reason that is. Even as adults, we struggle with situations where we have felt left out, right? Or, or not in a certain crowd of people. There's, there's, of course, because we have to come up with an acronym for everything, there's an acronym for this, right? You all know what I'm talking about? FOMO, right? You heard that? FOMO, fear of missing out. All right, it's this thing. It's what the, I'm not making this up. I didn't make this up for this morning. It's a thing. All right. Maybe you and I have felt like outcast for a few different reasons. Maybe it's because of poor decisions that we made. And still possibly, maybe we felt like an outcast because of decisions someone else made, right? A decision that impacted us that we had no control over. Both of these reasons this morning were part of the story of Jephthah. And we're going to get into to why. But, but, but to understand the full story of Jephthah's life and, and to get a picture into maybe why he does um, some of the things that he does, we need to actually look back a little bit. We're going to look back a chapter actually from the story of Jephthah as we start here quickly. Um, as, as you've read, um, as we've gone through the series on Judges, you've seen that Israel is in crisis, Right? They're in crisis mode. Time and time again, um, their enemies are at their door, right? It's one. The, in parts of the Old Testament, you feel like, is, is the battle ever going to stop, right? But um, in many situations, of course, the Israelites turn their backs on the Lord, right? They turn their, and, and that leaves them um, Vulnerable, God leaves them often to their own devices. But look with me here. This is um, Judges chapter 10, starting at verse 6. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtoreths and the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of, of the Ammonites and the gods of the Philistines. As I read this, I'm I'm preparing, I'm going, were there any gods they weren't serving, you know, besides their own? You know, they, they had, um, they had just been inundated with all this false worship and had become, um, a willing participant in it. 
Check out God's response to them then from, from worshiping all these false gods. Middle of verse 6. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years, they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan and Gilead, the land of the Amorites. Church, the Israelites had made their bed and God was having them lie in it, right? The false gods of all the people around them had become their idols and they were living with the repercussions. It says for 18 years, they were oppressed. Idols unfortunately, aren't just a problem for Old Testament stories, right? Idols can be a problem today in our lives, in our culture. Former professor of history and theology, Asbury Theological Seminary, Howard Snyder, lists these as some of the top idols that Americans struggle with. Are you ready for this? (laughs) Number one, money, riches, and wealth. Money, riches, and wealth. This isn't in any particular order. Um, These are just the top, some of the top ones. Next one, cars and other vehicles. Think four-wheelers, boats, side-by-sides, whatever. (laughs) Campers. Number three, fame and celebrity. All right, fame and celebrity. At the top of the list for American families, can you guess? Sports. Sports. Now, now listen, listen real carefully. This is not my list of evil. Okay. Um, I'm not preaching against any of those things I just mentioned this morning. Um, I'd love to have a boat, (laughs) but, but what I'm talking about this morning is what happens when you and I put things, whatever it would be above everything else. On the on even the the level playing field as everything else, right? The, the Israelites had done that with God. They had taken in all this false worship, all these idols, all these things, and made it equal or or superior to to the Lord. And they were they were facing um, problems because of that. Here are five ways I want to work through together. Five ways to test if something in my life has become an idol. And I'm going to give you a personal story here of, of a time that I idolized something in my own life. Number one, here's a way to test if something in your life has become an idol. Number one, this is in your bulletin on your notes there. Test your time and attention to the, this thing How much time, how much devotion, how much unquestioned loyalty do I give to this diversion, to this thing? What about passion and intensity of devotion and depth of loyalty to this thing? How much time and money go into this thing and at the expense of what other things? If I, if, if I'll put out all my responsibilities, if I list all my responsibilities out, all my other commitments, all right, and I put everything else on the back burner for this thing, it might, it might be in a position of idolatry in my life. Number two, you can test your willingness to question and evaluate. You can test your willingness to question and evaluate. Do I ever and am I willing to step back and question my loyalty to this thing? To ask where the line is between interest and worship. 
and how we know when we cross that line. Especially, do we question our loyalties and dedication to this thing by the light of the biblical standard? Number three, test your public signs of devotion. Uh, Devotees of idols commonly make their devotion public through their behavior, through their clothing, through their emblems, right? They give public displays, advertising where their loyalties lie so that everyone will know and there will be no confusion, right? These often take the forms of logos, flags, caps, t-shirts, other clothing. Again, the question is not do I have an interest in something. It's have I made this thing an idol in my life to the point of worshiping it with my actions and my values, Number four, test how your devotion compares with other gods or loyalties. Gods there, of course, meaning other things that I could worship falsely. For example, loyalty and devotion, though, to Christ. If I evaluate my interest, time, and money used on this thing amount of intensity, of attention, what comes out on top? The Lord or this other, other thing. What's second? What's third? What's fourth? I'll give a personal story here from a time in my life I idolized something. Um, During my college years, um, um, Halo had just come out. Where my Halo people got anywhere? No? Okay, like a few. Okay. (laughs) All right. Halo was, it was just another game, right? It was just another game at the time. and it had come out like at the end of my high school, um, high school life and into my college year. Okay. So, um, we had the systems and they came out with this cool thing around the time where you could link all the systems together and everybody and anybody could play right together, the ethernet, whatever. Um, so, so my whole dorm room floor of like, 50 guys, however many people are on a dorm floor, I don't even know, could link all of our systems and play together. How amazing is that? How ama- We were just like blown away by this emerging technology, right? Um, but unfortunately, the excitement and the interest quickly became an idol in my life. I won't even admit, because my parents may listen to this sermon later, (laughs) how many classes I probably missed because of Halo. Ruth, isn't that horrible? (laughs) I, I skipped classes. All right, I stayed up all night playing games instead of hanging out with friends. My extended family lived in the area. I probably missed some of grandma's homemade pies. All right. I, I, yes, I even probably skipped church on Sundays. I know. (laughs) I know. I know, Ruth. (laughs) That's what I'm saying, Ruth. That's what I'm saying. Shame on me. (laughs) Don't want anybody call the district office, okay? Halo, guys, had replaced the most important things in my life at that time, all right, and and had become the focus of everything I was, unfortunately, all right. Now, thankfully, the Lord worked me out of that, and that was a phase for me, Um, 
But for me, right, you get the idea, you get where I'm going at. That, for me at that time, was an idol that I was willing to forsake every other thing for. Number five, last one, test how your ethics are affected. What behaviors follow from my worship of this thing? Interest, hobby, relationships, whatever. Are we ethically sensitive to the effects of our devotion to this thing? Or does my loyalty produce ethical insensitivity? Most especially insensitivity to the virtues and values of the gospel of the kingdom of God. The reason I list all these now is because, we're, I, again, I want you to get a clear picture of the influences that Jephthah has at the beginning of his life. All right, this last one, the, the eth- ethical effects is one that is going to, I believe, directly impact Jephthah during his rule. A couple of questions as we get started to ask as we, re- as we reflect on the subject of idols and as we move into the next section of Scripture. Like the Israelites seeking more and more gods around them, have you and I ever experienced the temptation to worship an idol more because it hasn't delivered? And number two, do you want God or do you want what God gives you? Looking back at chapter 10, the Israelites come back to their senses. They cry out for God's help in verse 10 of chapter 10. What's interesting here is we look more into the story that God does not immediately answer their cry for help. <laughs> look at God's response here in verse 11. The Lord replied, when the, when the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sionians, the Amalekites, the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried to me for help, did I not save you from their hands but you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. Ouch. You've heard it said before that true repentance is heartfelt conviction. Not just being sorry for the consequences of my sin but actually being sorry for the sin itself, right? The Israelites were coming to God for his rescue because they were wallowing in the pain of their decisions to abandon God. He wasn't having it this time. There wasn't true repentance from the side of the Israelites. Gives you a little picture, right, into maybe the, the reasoning for God's response there. Thankfully, though, the Israelites get it. Thankfully, they get it. In true repentance, they come back to God and admit their sin. Look at verse 15. But the Israelites said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Now look at he, look here at the Israelites' additional act of repentance, verse 16. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord. God, forgive us of times when we come and ask for forgiveness without being uh, willing or ready to completely rid ourselves of this thing, right? The Israelites first came to the Lord and weren't quite ready to give it all up. They were coming asking for help, but hadn't yet got rid of all the false gods. You see where I'm going? And then when they, when they come again, they're ready this time, they throw it all out. God, help us when we come in sin to be ready to throw it all out. So with Israel now showing true heartfelt conviction and repentance, God relents, and the end of verse 16, um, follow along here, and he could bear Israel's misery no longer. And he could bear Israel's misery no longer. 
So this is giving a picture of this back of the background in Jephthah's life. Um, Jephthah's life then does not. Additionally, his life does not start out well. His family was not the shining example of a God honoring family unit, and as we'll read shortly, um, he was an illegitimate son of a warrior in Israel. His mom. Jephthah's mother was a prostitute. Yet as is woven through the entirety of scripture and our kind of my main point this morning, there was a story of redemption coming in the life of Jephthah that I'm excited to look at together. Look now into the, uh, Jephthah's story. This is chapter 11, verse one. Jephthah, the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Church, we don't get to choose the situations we're born into, do we? We don't get to choose that. Jephthah certainly had no choice in the, in the matter. And unfortunately, it doesn't get better for him. Continue reading with me, verse 2 of chapter 11. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. Can you imagine with me this morning, can you grasp being born into a family that from the time you were born wanted nothing to do with you? Nothing. Because of a decision that he had no control over, Jephthah would have been reminded from birth that he was an, he was an illegitimate member of the family. Think of the verbal, the emotional abuse he would have endured from the people that were supposed to love him. Yet they drove him away. They pushed him out. Like competing chicks in the same nest, Jephthah was thrown out. He would have no place in the family inheritance. They wanted nothing to do with him. Verse 3, chapter 11. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. As I was reading this, this just, this struck me as so crazy that this, the way that it's mentioned here, this group of adventurers, there was something about Jephthah still with all this stuff that he had uh, endured through his family that this group of adventurers just, um, gathers around him and, and follows him. It's his community, right? This community came around him. I want to pause here for a minute and I just thank you again. Anytime I, I have the chance, um, thank you, many of you all who come around our youth here at Living Word and become a family to them. Um, Brittany and I are so um, appreciative of, of each of you guys. And, and it's honestly, you, you may not ever realize the full impact of the way that you support our youth. Uh, many provide scholarships for students to be able to go to convention or fall retreat or other events. Others simply engage our youth in conversation here on, on Sunday mornings and Wednesdays. And, and you're helping them to realize that they are a part of the family of God, right? Something very dear to both, I know, pastors and my heart is that we would never be the separate thing, right? That we would have this youth group over here on Wednesdays or these kids programs on Wednesday nights. But this is, this is God's family. This is God's church. We are united together. The, the, the youth group is just as much a part of Living Word as we are here this morning. One student whose name I won't mention from our youth talked about her family mocking her because she wanted to come to youth on Wednesdays. She was the only believer in her family, and they, they, they actually mocked her for wanting to come here to youth on Wednesdays. 
made fun of her. These are the types of situations that our students sometimes face. And I could tell you story after story. I just don't have time this morning. But your love and support for them is so crucial. But like this community coming around Jephthah, um, the church needs to come around our students and our youth and let them know they're loved, that they're supported in spite of what might be happening at home. But as we continue in Jephthah's story, we quickly see how God is going to still use him in spite of living as an outcast. This is uh, 11 verse 4 now. Sometime later, when the Ammonites made war on Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Guys, Jephthah wasn't a fool. He wasn't going to be tricked by this again. He realized that the men of Gilead were only coming to him to get what they needed, right? They needed a leader. They needed someone that they knew was capable of leading them against their enemies. Not because they really wanted Jephthah to return, right? Not because they loved him so much. that (laughs) To them, Jephthah was a means to an end. But it seems here, whether or not the elders' um, intentions were, were clear or were good, that God was going to use this situation to, um, to the story, to use it to work in Jephthah's story of redemption. The commentary in the NIV Quest Study Bible says this, The elders recruited Jephthah because no leader emerged when the troops assembled at Mizpah. The last two verses of chapter 10 um, give us a little insight to, to that event. With their very survival at stake, they did not worry about protocol or established policy. The crisis demanded they do whatever was necessary to protect, listen to this, themselves. Their choice was the illegitimate son of Gilead. He was their best choice. But what did they have to do? They had to eat some crow to go back to the guy that they had just shunned or that they kicked out, right? And now ask him to lead. So Jephthah was going to make sure he wasn't played again. Listen to the conversation here. This is verse 8. The elders of Gilead said to, said to him, Jephthah, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come fight the Ammonites and you will be our head over all who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? See how he's asking again? Like, I know you just said this, but is this is actually what you mean. Like, I'm going to make sure here. Jephthah had been betrayed before. And now all of a sudden they come back. He was going to make sure it didn't happen again. This is verse 10. The elders of Gilead replied, the Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them, and he repeated all his words before the Lord and Mizpah. So the elders come, they ask him to take the leadership, all right, they kind of ratify as a group, and then he goes with the group to the people of Gilead, and they again do the same thing there. So he's he's kind of voted in by the group, and then he's voted in or by the group of elders, and then he's approved by the people of Gilead as well. All right, he he made sure, right, that this is actually what you mean, right? Because you just kicked me out. <laughs> How many people know this morning that God is the author of our story? He, he loves to restore people. Think of the other amazing stories throughout the Bible of God doing similar things. Think of Joseph shunned by his brothers, sold, who had sold him into slavery, lied to their father so that he believed he had been killed. 
later thrown into prison for false accusations of rape against Potiphar's wife. Joseph ends up rising to power through all of that, becoming second in command in Egypt right under Pharaoh. Joseph's horrible beginnings were restored for God's glory. Think of Rahab, another well-known prostitute from the Old Testament, who after sheltering Israeli spies has herself and her entire family saved from certain death during the siege of Jericho. Rahab actually becomes then a part of the lineage of Jesus. Rahab's rough beginnings were restored for God's glory. And maybe one of the most dramatic stories of redemption comes to us from the, from the story of, of Job, who in an incredible series of events loses everything, right? He loses his entire family, except for his wife, all, uh, you know, who, who later tells him to, right, to abandon the Lord. So maybe she should have been lost too, I don't know. Um, all of his possessions, even his health, he loses his health to boils, cover his body, right? If you know the story. But for those of you who know the end of the story, remember how Job remains faithful to the Lord and how God restores everything to him, even more so than what he had at the beginning, right? All Job's outcast life was restored for God's glory. We could go on and on, right? Uh, But we, and we know that the Bible is actually one huge story of redemption, not just to people in the Old Testament, for people, period, right? For all of us. The Bible is a story of redemption. So let's continue on the story of Jephthah now as the battle of the Ammonites looms on the horizon. What we're going to see after this battle, though, is going to make us question Jephthah's wisdom. After communicating with the king of the Ammonites by letter, which was common at the time between kings going to war, a compromise cannot be reached. I'm summarizing this next section here. War is inevitable. If we skip ahead here, look at verse 29, chapter 11. We read that before battle, quote, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Amen. This is a phrase we see repeated often through the Old Testament. Similar verbiage is used in instances with Judges um, Othniel, with Gideon, with Samson, and also later with King David. The Spirit of the Lord came upon them. This powerful word picture emphasizes the Spirit of the Lord empowering the human agent and acting through them. People, what an amazing idea, an amazing concept to be used in such a way. I I pray sincerely each of us are willing and ready to be empowered by the Spirit. Amen? I hope that we're ready to, to do that. From this point on in the account, things take an interesting turn. With the Spirit of the Lord having just come upon him, Jephthah suddenly makes a vow that will end up having completely damaging effects. This is verse 29 again. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. Listen to this. This is key. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Church, the Israelites rout the Ammonites. They are soundly defeated. Verse 33 tells us that Jephthah and the Israeli army destroyed 20 towns in the Ammonite territory. 
but we can't forget Jephthah's vow. Verse 34, when Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sounds of tambourines? Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh, my daughter, you have made me miserable and wretched because I have made a vow to the Lord I cannot break. Jephthah had made a vow and would now sacrifice his own daughter. Like me hearing this, you may have asked yourself, what in the world was he doing? Why would he do that? Why would he make this kind of vow? Let me, a couple of thoughts to to get a little glimpse maybe into why this happened. We need to understand this morning um, that although Jephthah was anointed by God to serve, Jephthah was far from righteous. Remember all the influences we talked about at the beginning of the message today? He had been influenced by a culture that was worshiping false gods. There were certainly cultures in that time that still practiced human sacrifice, most likely. He had been influenced um, in these kind of practices. Perhaps Jephthah thought then that God would somehow be impressed, right, by the high stakes of his vow. But secondly, human sacrifice was completely outlawed, completely sinful, period. God had outlawed it in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. God would not have been honored by Jephthah sacrificing his daughter. But Jephthah faced humiliation for not fulfilling this public vow that he would have made, right? But make no mistake, God was not, um, would not have approved of the sinful act, even if it was done fulfilling a vow. This deadly Ill- situation illustrates perfectly how even those whom God used as leaders did not always follow his ways. Rather than trust God, Jephthah tried to bargain for God's blessing, and he mixed his own ideas and cultural practices with the truth um, that, he, that he knew about God and his ways. And as happened then with many others throughout the book of Judges, what Jephthah and his family got instead of blessings was grief. The human sacrifice of Jephthah's daughter shows how far even a prophet of the Lord had slipped from the laws of God because of the influences around him. As we read earlier, Mosaic law had outlawed human sacrifice, but Israel had been so influenced by the false gods around them that even Jephthah agrees to this unthinkable act. Even Jephthah agrees to this unthinkable act. As we close here today, as we close here today, I want to I want to wrap up with two lessons that Tim Keller provides on the tragedy of Jephthah. What I hope you'll take with you today. First, we are most we are far more affected by our culture than by the Bible. And we are far more affected sometimes by our culture than we may realize. Jephthah would have had the Pentateuch. He would have had the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the, the Jewish books of the law. He would have had those. Human sacrifice was strictly forbidden in the Torah. Yet Jephthah makes this vow all the same. It begs the question for us today, what blind spots may I have in my life that may not line up with what God has already asked for me? 
do I even, and do I even know what he's asked? Keller closes this question with the statement. If we want to know the answer to that question, we will be regular and humble readers of God's word. Church, we believe in the Bible as the absolute truth and the absolute hope for our society. Amen? And, and, and if we want to know what that truth is, to be able to share it and joy and love with those around us, we better know and study what this book has to say. And secondly, another important lesson for us this morning, we often struggle to believe in a God of grace. Jephthah would have felt so bound by this ungodly commitment that he would not have known, he may not have known another way out. I mean, this is conjecture, but he may not have known once he had made this vow that there was a God that, that provides grace. If, if we don't fully comprehend God as a God of, of absolute grace, we may be prone to feel burdened or trapped like Jephthah to unrighteous lifestyles. But God's grace elevates us from our sin to live in freedom through Christ. So these two lessons that, that Keller provided on the tragedy of Jephthah. We're affected by our culture more than we may think. And we've got to remember that God is a God of grace. Amen. The gospel message, church, is just that. That God's love and grace is extended to the worst of the worst. Yes, even outcast human sacrificers like Jephthah. The worst of the worst. Because as Christian author Max Lucado says, the distance between the best of us and the worst of us is infinitely smaller than the distance between the best of us and God. As we close today and the worship team comes here, um, if you've never made that personal, personal decision to walk in a relationship with Jesus, I pray that you do that this morning. And we've got response cards there in the back seats. And I, we would just be so honored if you would um, fill that out. Let us know about a decision that maybe you've made to follow the Lord. Um, there's also a place on there for uh, prayer requests if you've got um, something that you, going on in your life that you need to pray for. I hope you know we've got a prayer team every week that, that prays for those things by name. We also mention them um, in staff, and we pray through those prayer requests and we talk about those that have um those have accepted christ and we celebrate and we thank god for those i want you to know that 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 those are that's available so please take time fill those out and if like the troubled israelites seeking after false idols there's something in your life um that you may need to to cast out to to get rid of I'm praying this morning that the Holy Spirit, as we, as we close and worship together, would illuminate those things and bring each of us to true repentance. Would you stand with me as we, as we close here in worship? I'd like, I'd like this, this ending worship song to be a time of response for each of us. I hope that you'll pray as we worship, Lord, illuminate things in my life that may be in the wrong order. Illuminate things that I may have idolized right above my commitment and my loyalty and my dedication to you. 
Lord, we, we thank you so much for your story of redemption. That even in the story of Jephthah, a, a horrible um, beginning, God, even a tragedy, as he leads, Lord, that, that he's, God, that, that ultimately you used Jephthah. God, in this, the, the stories of redemption in the Bible over and over again, that, that, that their that hearts here this morning would know and realize that your redemption is accessible. If there's, if there are, there's, um, if there are those here this morning then that have not made a commitment to live their life in obedience to you, Lord, that they would do that this morning before they leave this place. That those, um, it, that there's something in their life they may need to bring to true repentance like the Israelites do. That they would be willing to bring that to you this morning and lay that on the altar, Lord. God, thank you for your word. Convict us as we worship. In your name we pray.